Supercharged with Ali Geary on RTE Radio 1. Welcome to Supercharged with me, Anna Geary. I hope you're all having a lovely weekend so far. There's a little bit left. Last week's show focused on loneliness. It was a big show and the response was huge. Like there were so many takeaways. But one of the things that actually stuck in my head all week was the physical impact that loneliness has on our health. It can actually be as harmful as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. 15 cigarettes. That is shocking. And when I was doing my research for this week's show, as you do to make sure you're prepared, I actually found another shocking stat. Approximately 20% of people, that's one in five of us, is going to experience at least one panic attack at some stage in our lives. And some of us mightn't even realise that's what's happening at the time. Like, I've never had a panic attack, well, not that I know of. But I know that there are so many people out there that regularly experience panic attacks. Room spinning, losing my breath, hyperventilating. My chest started to feel really tight and I couldn't breathe properly and I felt very lightheaded. It just came out of the blue, I just felt tightness in my chest. My God, did I, did I fly? I, I ran out of the place as quickly as I could. Such a loss of control and just spiralling down a rabbit hole. You're losing your mind with terror. Like listening to that, I know I haven't had a panic attack because... Like, that sounds petrifying and terrifying. And, like, I was honestly completely unaware of the extent of the impact that it can have on someone's life. So today, we're going to talk about panic attacks because I want to find out more, but also I want to try and get help for those of us that suffer from panic attacks on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Maybe you've only had one, but there is help out there, so I want to bring that to you today. We're going to talk to clinical psychologist Dr Claire Hayes she's going to talk us through how to recognise if you're having a panic attack like the coping mechanisms and exactly what to do like what to do if you're with someone and they're having a panic attack and also what not to do so please get in touch with your questions or your stories text us on 51551 or email us at rte.ie. and coming up a little later in the show we're going to discuss top tips for eye health and our very own Hugh Hick is back with us and he's going to bring us some interesting health stories from all around the world. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. For a lot of people, the first time they experience a panic attack can be a terrifying but also confusing experience. It can be unlike anything they've ever experienced before and they might not even know what it is. That's the case with Jeff Byrne who joins me now. Jeff, thank you for joining us on Supercharged. Cheers. Can you bring us back to the very first time you experienced a panic attack? Yeah, uh, I'd like to even go back to just my my entrance into the RTE building, I suppose, which mm. will give you a better insight into how, how panic attacks can actually manifest. Okay. Um, I was sitting outside there um, just waiting to be called in, into, the, in, into the room itself or into the uh, studio. That in itself can be so daunting, you know, because you're taking somebody completely outside their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people like to live in a safe place, you know, stay within the cocoon, stay within, uh, you know, the parameters of what's what's normal to you. So sitting out there uh, this, e- or this evening, um, I could feel myself simmering away nicely, you know. Um, so the anxiety levels were building. Um, 
But and how like how did that physically present itself to you? Because you know, for a lot of people listening, much like myself, sure, I have never experienced one, and yet there's so many out there that have too. So like, talk us through that if you wouldn't mind. Well, I suppose like for me sitting outside, it was the first time I've like first time I've been on live on radio to talk about something like this. Um, I suppose just um, you know just the wait uh, before coming in, just the 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 uncertainty about what way it's going to play out. Um, and then um, I suppose for me, it, it was then trusting myself, knowing that nothing's going to, you know, nothing's going to happen from this. You know, I've been here a million times before. So it's just to kind of trust yourself and uh, just go with it, if, if you want to say. But um, yeah, I could feel, I could feel quite uncomfortable just coming in, just about, purely about the anticipation of how things were going to play out. And when you say like uncomfortable, is is that like sweaty palms? Is that shortness of breath? Is like, what does, what does that feel like to you? Yeah, I think it's, a, it's, it's, there's, there's a few, few things there. Um, I think uh, certainly a little bit of clammy hands <laughs> for starters, um, the shortness of breath, um, you know, it's it's, and then you you can feel that your body is heating up. You know, like even from your your the brow of your forehead. Uh, you know, it's it's, uh, but it, it's it's. I suppose you just you just learn to regulate yourself. And and, you, and before we we talk, I suppose about coping mechanisms. Like, let me take you back then to the very first time you experienced a panic attack. Was it something similar to? the situation you're describing now? Yeah, I suppose panic attacks really start with high anxiety, you know, so it's it's it manifests from anxiety into a panic attack. The anxiety is the the uh, it's the uncertainty, it's the it's the the rumbling in the tummy. And the, where were you the very first time you had a panic attack? Oh, I would say, you know, I'm I just turned 50 there a few weeks ago, so uh I would say definitely in my in my late teens. Um but hadn't got a clue what was going on. I didn't have the, uh, I didn't have the, the language to express how I felt, and it kind of just, it was all kept to myself, and it was just kind of this was the norm for me. And what were you doing at the time that you had the panic attack? Well, as I said, I think it was more anxiety at the start, and then it manifested into panic attacks. Panic attacks probably happened in my early twenties, um, and I think it was. I think, you know, for me anyway, uh, I, I suffer with low self-esteem. So it was it was really taking myself outside of my comfort zone and put myself into scenarios where, um, you know, not feeling uh, adequate, if you want to say. So it's, you know, like I, I never, I've never drank alcohol mm-hmm. or, or, you know, stuff like that. And I suppose, like a lot of Irish people, you know, the whole social scene would be revolved around, you know, going to a pub, nightclub and drinkers involved. And I suppose it's sort of, it's, it's a good calming kind of effect on people, you know, to, just to to break the ice in conversation. For me, I didn't have that. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's... Um, but like for the, for the first time that you experienced mm. a panic attack, you didn't realise what was going on. Sure. You, you know... In your, you're in your 20s. Yeah. Nobody's talking about this. Mm. Like, what was that like for you? Like, it must have been terrifying. Yeah, no, it was I, I really, uh, it was very, very, very... You were uh, on a football pitch, am I right? Yeah, well, I, I, I had a panic attack while playing a football match, actually. Um, I was probably in my late 20s when that happened. And uh, I think my, I was just carrying so much baggage in my head. Um, I really hadn't got a clue what was going on in my life at that time. Very confused, very disillusioned, very sort of, um, 
just very confused, as I said. And then this played out on the football pitch where I was just shortness of breath. Um, and I really didn't know what the hell was going on. So I just had to run to the side of the pitch and get water and throw it on me and, you know, pour it over my, over my forehead, over my face and stuff. But it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's for, for somebody who hasn't experienced a panic attack, it's, um, it's something that you don't want to ever experience. Uh, it's, it, can be, it can be very crippling. And I think, you know, um, because of the line of work I'm in, I hear from people like, you know, I heard recently from one, from one colleague that he said that he can't even leave his apartment because of his panic attacks because he's afraid that when he goes out of his, uh, his apartment, and it's happened on numerous occasions, it's nearly like he's having a heart attack, right? And he cripples over so much so that people, when they see him, they run to, to attend to him. So he doesn't put himself in the scenario so he doesn't go out anymore. So so that's how crippling panic attacks can actually be on, on, on people, you know. I, I can't even begin to imagine what it would be like living that experience of feeling mm. like you're having a hashtag or not quite knowing mm. like what it is. And for you then, having that first panic attack, like was there repeat panic attacks soon afterwards? Was that the first of many? Or like at, at what point did you actually figure out what was going on? Um, the panic attacks went on for years for me. It was high anxiety and panic attacks for years. Um, but what, I, what impact did that have in your life? Oh, it, it, it had, a, had a huge effect on me because, you know, the self-doubt kicks in. You don't want to put yourself into, into situations where you feel uncomfortable. Um, it equally affected relationships with, 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 with uh, you know, uh, friends and stuff like that, you know, because you're afraid to... To, to get too close to people because you, you, you have so much self-doubt in yourself. And may I ask then, like, what was the catalyst for you to seek help? Yeah, um, was actually, going back to the football story, I, um, I was seeing a counsellor um, and, um, you know, I didn't know at the time that you, you had a choice about counsellors, as in, you know, that if it didn't work out with one, mm-hmm. you could go to another and so on and so forth. So one of the guys I played football with, um, his mom was a, it turns out was a counsellor and we just happened to get into conversation, but he was like 10 years younger than me. And I said to him, I was telling him the situation I was in and he, he recommended, you know, why don't you have a chat with my mom? So I said, great. Um, went to meet his mom and uh, she spoke with me for an hour and a half. I opened up in the hour and a half to her like I'd never spoken to anybody in my entire life, not even myself. Because really? it was like as though my left hand wasn't telling my right hand what was doing and so on and so forth. But because I felt a connection with this lady, um, she was the difference in where I am today, you know, wow. in my understanding of myself. But she gave me a, 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 you know, a clear understanding of myself and just was able to, I suppose, just, uh, you know... There was just that connection. And, yeah, and, I and think it's that, someone that you trusted. Yeah, I think... That's I a think, big thing. I think the connection is massive mm-hmm. because if you're going to divulge stuff that you haven't told anybody mm-hmm. before, there has to be a trust element, you know? And how, like, how are you now? Like, would, would panic attacks still be a part of your life? Maybe perhaps yeah. less frequently? No, I, 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 to be honest with you, I haven't had a panic attack now in a couple of years, I don't think. Um, not that I can recall. Anxiety would still be there, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's normal. I think it's it's, it's a general kind of uh, scenario for a lot of people. But it's how you deal with it and how you come through the the anxiety attack, and you know, and it doesn't manifest into a panic attack. But it's it's just it's 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 really monitoring and learning to understand yourself. 
you know, um, but just by education on, on your own mental health. And like, what would you say to people that are listening right now that perhaps are experiencing panic attacks? Yeah, I think, I think there's, there's, look, this might sound a little bit harsh, but I think there's a personal responsibility to yourself to stay on top of yourself and to maintain a, a, an element of wellness. And nobody can force you to do that. It's like um, when you're seeking, you know, counselling or you go to a doctor or whatever, the first step is to walk in the door and to actually literally put your hands out and say, I need help here, I need guidance. You know, so it's, um, yeah, I think there's, there is plenty of help out there, but people have to want the help. Yeah, know? and we will be talking about that later on, about the different avenues that people sure. can explore and the coping mechanisms. But Jeff, thank you for coming in, for sharing your story. Like, I know that's not easy. Sure. But hopefully by hearing your story that some listeners out there might feel that they're in a better place to understand what's happening to them. So thank you. Sure, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Now coming up, we are going to let you know how to recognise panic attacks and what to do if you're experiencing them. Supercharged with Alec Geary on RTE Radio 1. With me now is Dr Claire Hayes, consultant clinical psychologist. Welcome to the show, Claire. Before we, we get into our chat about panic attacks and, and the advice and everything that comes with that, people have been getting in touch, sharing their own personal stories and experiences about panic attacks. Hi Anna, I have suffered from severe panic attacks, I suppose in that normal fashion of room spinning, losing my breath, hyperventilating. I've blacked out previously. I've had like the worst kind of sensation of feeling like I was genuinely going to die. So I had a panic attack when I was in my fourth year in college. Had no idea what was going on at the time. Just remember going into the bathroom before class. I basically waited in there for, I don't know, until everyone had gone into the class. Then I came out and ran to my car and just sat in my car for ages. It was the most unnerving and strange experience to just have that kind of fight or flight. By God, did I, did I fly? I, I ran out of the place as quickly as I could. And um, A couple of years ago, after I had my first child, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And it was, it was a shock and a bit of a scare. And I suppose, especially around times of common scans, appointments and scheduled treatment plans, I started to feel a bit unwell in myself. My chest started to feel really tight and I couldn't breathe properly and I felt very lightheaded. Hi Anna, yes, the panic attack just happened in the middle of the wedding. It just came out of the blue, I just felt tightness in my chest. Um, thankfully, I had really good friends who copped what was going on and brought me into a room. Um, it was over pretty fast, but I suppose I was just a little bit shocked over it. I suppose I felt despair and blackness and terror beyond the normal range of emotions of I fear this, I fear that. Such a loss of control and just spiralling down a rabbit hole. You're losing your mind with terror and an impending doom. It's like you're in another place where your normal emotions just don't apply actually. They don't tell the story of it at all. I did find that going through panic attacks was a very lonely time because when you don't fully understand what those attacks are, they can be really strong and very frightening. And when you can't explain what it is that you're experiencing, it's very hard to ask for help. 
Claire, that's quite frightening actually to, to listen to. So I can only imagine what it must be like to experience them. There's such a variety of physical symptoms presenting themselves and, and really powerful stories there. Absolutely. And the people who are describing their experiences, they did it so well. So even though we don't know them personally, we can certainly relate to how they're experiencing. And like, I remember during the week, I conducted a poll on Instagram and almost 60% of the people that admitted to experiencing panic attacks actually said that they didn't realise they were having a panic attack at the time. Mm-hmm. So like, I suppose let's start at the beginning. Like, what is a panic attack and how can people recognise if they're having one? Well, I think they're probably different for each individual. But as the, the people on your clips described, they're, they're very severe. And, and I think that's important. It's not just experiencing anxiety at a mild that, you know, you might be sitting in a dentist surgery and waiting to go in a dentist waiting room and feeling anxious. It's, it's that magnified. And I was listening to Jeff and he, how he described his experiences. And you asked him, can he, could he remember his first panic attack? And I just realised as, as you were asking him the question, Anna, that I actually remembered, I think the one and only time I experienced a panic attack. And thankfully, I didn't know at the time it was because um, it was years later. And it's really only now as I look back, I think that's actually what it was. I was 19. I was um, in a disco. I had, um, as I thought, going in a beautiful outfit on me. I had a gorgeous t-shirt with an, an elephant with sequins, which was full practically down as a mini skirt and then a long skirt under that. And I thought I looked absolutely gorgeous. And at one point as I was coming off the dance floor, I noticed a few guys laughing at me or laughing. And I interpreted that as laughing at me. And I remember really clearly um, having to rush to the toilet and going into a cubicle and and not wanting to come out and my heart racing, sick feeling in my stomach. All of the symptoms that I now know are classic to someone who's experiencing a panic attack. But I just thought I was stupid. I thought there was something really wrong with me because I was just reacting the way I was reacting. And I think one of the hardest things I've ever done is actually walking back out into the dance floor. We heard one of the people on your clips talking about leaving and running to the car. That's what I wanted to do. That fight or flight. Absolutely. And and I now realise looking back that that's probably the reason I've only ever, to the best of my knowledge, experienced one. Because I did what, what in my language, I, I call over taking my power back. Mm-hmm. I overcame my anxiety. And, and literally, I can't emphasise how difficult it was for me to walk back onto that dance floor. And I suppose from the science point of view then, like, like what is actually happening yes. in our bodies yes. when we're having panic attacks? Well, at the time I didn't understand it, but now I do. And it's very basic. We have a wonderful primitive instinct, um, a mechanism to keep us safe. It's called our fight flight. One of your listeners described it. And if we're in danger, that kicks in. But it also kicks in if we think we're in danger. And that's where the problem is. So thousands of years ago, when our ancestors were going out to get a bear and they saw the bear and they thought it was going to kill them, well, they ran away. Ran away. So they are, their bodies produced a lot of extra adrenaline, cortisol, hormones to let them get out of the way as fast as they could. Or they were killed. So hopefully they ran. Um, But now we have the fight and we have flight and we have freeze. So a lot of us trap all of that stuff in our bodies. And we might not be aware. People talk sometimes about panic attacks coming completely out of the blue, unexpected. But when I work with people and we explore that, they might have been thinking a little bit earlier um, about something that might have 
trigger their bodies to think they're in danger. So while, if I can give you another example of my own life, if, if, if that's okay, and, and I draw on my own experiences over and over and over. And when I was 25, I went for a walk in a forest with a friend on a Sunday afternoon. And I know it was coming up to two o'clock because a guy followed us. And a few minutes later, he asked us what time it was. And I looked at my watch, it was two o'clock. My friend was bothered by him and I thought he was just a nuisance, you know, which was, it was fine. But a few minutes later, he actually jumped on me with a knife and he said, give it to me or you'll die. I didn't know he had a knife. I didn't see it. My friend did. She froze. And I was so angry with him and I flung him off and I screamed at him. And I, I was a teacher at the time. So senior infant teacher came out. Who are you? How dare you? What's your name? Come back here. And I was responding instinctively, but he did run away. And I thought I'd handled that brilliantly. I thought, you know, I was really proud of myself. And But what I didn't realise was the long-term effects of that incident, which I still experience. So I see my, my fight-flight mechanism being completely shattered as a result of that incident. So for a long time after that, when I used to walk down a street... Men in particular would jump out at me and they'd say boo or scaredy cat or something. And I felt very vulnerable because it was like my protective mechanism was gone. My safety mechanism was gone. And I remember being in a city um, thousands of miles from here and on my own, walking down a very busy street and literally forcing myself to walk down the street. And that was that was my first time really taking my power back from, from that. So now I kind of trust my feelings. So when, mm. when I feel anxious, I stop and I think, is it because there's danger or because my body thinks yeah, there's you're, danger? You're checking in with yes, yourself. And exactly. I think for, you know, for a lot of people listening that, that do experience panic attacks, they are looking for ways to identify them, but also how to manage them. Yes. So like if I may say, for example, you know, hypothetically, if right now I was about to you know, or was experiencing a panic attack yes. on air. Like, how would you talk me through it? Okay, well, the first thing I would do would be to be very calm myself. So managing my own anxiety, reminding myself that you're not going to die, that as assuming it is a panic attack. And sometimes people have experiences that they think are panic attacks, but actually could be heart attacks. So it's very important to check that out. And if it was on air, I would be, and I knew that you experienced panic attacks, then I would be asking you to breathe slowly. I would be focusing you on, Anna, feel your feet on the floor. Notice what you can see. Notice your breath coming into your body. Notice your breath leaving your body. Again, noticing your breath coming into your body and noticing your breath leaving your body. And I might acknowledge, Anna, I think you're feeling quite frightened. I think you think there's something seriously wrong. But my sense is you're experiencing anxiety. So breathing slowly is going to help. So I wouldn't rush in and ask you how you're feeling. I wouldn't rush in and ask you to feel better or tell you you have to cop on or pull yourself together. Okay. And that's important because for a lot of people listening that might be with someone that's yes. experiencing a panic attack, yes. it's not just knowing what to do, it's also knowing what not to do and, yes. and not to say as yes, well. Yes, absolutely. And also, you know, the way in life we learn things the hard way. When I was doing my clinical psychology training a number of years ago, I was working with a young man who at that time was experiencing panic attacks and he had um, a particular fear of blood. So we were looking at helping him with his blood phobia. And at one point, the two of us were watching open, a video of open heart surgery. 
and he went as wide as anything and became extremely anxious, told me he was going to faint, he was going to get sick. So I did what I wouldn't do now. I rescued him by turning off the video. And my supervisor was really cross with me and she told me that I had fed into his anxiety and I tried to explain to her that he was very, very frightened and he was having a panic attack and he was going to faint. And I'll never forget it. She looked at me very sternly and she said, Claire, he wasn't going to die and he probably wasn't going to faint, but now he doesn't know that. So you've deprived him of the opportunity of of discovering that. So it's very important that we don't rescue other people by by helping them avoid because having an experience of a panic attack is one thing, but the fear of having another can cause lots of problems moving forward. And well, now that you say that, there was a message in here from Mary and she said, I had one panic attack recently um, and I've had anxiety previous, but now I'm terrified of having another panic yes. attack. That seems to yes. be like um, a lot of people are saying that within their messages. That's the fear of That's having fear. another one and it can yes. actually impact then and them afterwards yes. and stop them from going into social situations and and going places. What would you say to them? And and that's so understandable because the physiological feelings in our body are so awful, like sick feeling our stomach, clammy and sweaty, palpitations. Some people think they're going to die. Like nobody wants to experience that again. So that's understandable. I think number, the the first point I'd make is it's important for us to change our language around them because the two words panic attacks, they're quite severe mm-hmm. and very frightening. So if you said to um, anyone, you know, don't panic, well, that's what we're going to do. So helping someone understand that they experienced anxiety to a severe degree, and that might be have been related to what was going on at the time, they might have been under a lot of stress, but because they've had one does not necessarily mean that they're in for a lifetime of these and they survived the first one. So then, as Jeff said, the more they know about what anxiety is, the better. So there's lots of, of, of different ways. I particularly like CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, and that separates out things into what people are thinking. So if people are thinking, I hope I'm not going to have one, I don't want to have one, I'm not able to have one, other people are looking at me, then they're going to feel upset, anxious, stupid, worried. And then if you think of a triangle and it's so thoughts, feelings, and then the bottom action. So this is the key. So what some people do to make sure as far as they can, they're never going to have another one, they start to avoid whatever the situation was. And that becomes a problem because then their life can become more and more and more limited. So the treatment, if I if I can use a medical term, but the, the way out of anxiety is really to face it. Susan Jeffers' book, Feel the Fear mm-hmm. and, and Do, do it, it anyway. anyway. But do it anyway with compassion. I've worked with so many people who do it anyway, but they blame themselves for it. So really understanding that, yes, our bodies think there's danger, but there might not be. And I suppose we'll we'll move now around the, the various different types of coping mechanisms. We've had people get in touch and share their coping mechanisms as well. So I went to the doctor because I actually thought I was going mad and uh, he knew obviously what was happening. And he uh, referred me to a counsellor who gave me some great um, coping mechanism tips, good breathing techniques and introduced me to guided meditation. I'd never done guided meditation before and I found it really helpful, especially in the middle of the night when you're on your own, this happens. It is a very lonely place, so it's good to actually try and regulate yourself. And it only took kind of going to a counsellor and talking through all of what was going on for me to realise what, what it was that was causing these attacks. And I can say now that I take a step back or... 
I take myself away to a quiet place and I give myself some headspace, disconnect from the world a little bit. I think it's really important though to note the difference between having it treated for your symptoms, which I did, in learning how to control my breath, learning how to deal with it, and then learning like your root cause. It wasn't until I went to therapy years later that I was able to manage them um, and get to a place where I was okay with myself and I wasn't in that heightened, anxious state. But I found that the way to cope with it is meditation and I've overcome it and now I have coping mechanisms, breathing through it and I don't suffer really at all anymore. I feel it's stress that brings it on, but as I said, I am very confident that I know what to do when it happens again. Get help. And if you don't feel like you can work with the first person or second person, just move on. I'm not saying you have to be picky and, and close to learning, but I think you have to find someone who you can work with that what they're saying makes sense to you. Because it's the loneliest place on the earth to be. When you're having a panic attack and you're going into that other place, it's up to you. No one else can really help you pull you out of it. You have to find your technique or your way, I think. And that means from recommendations or whatever, but I think you have to learn your own coping skill, that this works for me. So the message really is finding what coping mechanism works for you. And doing it. And doing it. And they're fabulous clips and you can hear the, the confidence that people have in their voice that they know what works for them and they do it. And... We have an audio question actually in here. We'll go to this first. Hi Anna, thanks for posting about panic attacks on your social media. I just have one quick question. How do you get over the tiredness after a panic attack? I do be tired for two or three days and just want to lie in bed after. And I actually feel one brewing now. Like I'm trying to get past it by going running and stretching, but sometimes it can't be helped. Thanks. And before we, we, we touch about the aftermath of panic attacks, somebody is feeling a panic attack coming on if you're listening right now and you are feeling a panic attack coming on Claire what can they do? Well again acknowledge to themselves that they're feeling however they're feeling whether it's feeling frightened feeling anxious feeling upset that has to feeling be a terrifying scared. place absolutely, to be absolutely so allowing them to feel that and then realising that this is because I think I'm having a panic attack I think there's something seriously wrong with me and I've developed a sentence and I call it the ABC coping sentence. It's very simple. So A is acknowledged. So I feel scared because I think I'm going to have a panic attack or because I think there's something wrong with me. But C, I choose to breathe slowly. A very simple breathing exercise. Tighten your non-dominant hand. Breathe in. Hold your breath two, three and breathe out and open your hand. And if you do that three times and think at the same time, I choose to breathe slowly. It's very, very, very powerful. And can, I suppose, following on from that thing, can you recommend um, anything for people in the aftermath of a panic attack? You know, we mentioned, we heard there with tiredness. Yes. And that lady spoke very powerfully of her experience. And I was just thinking as I was listening to her, it's it's really tempting, I think, for any of us to take to the bed, to think, you know, we're feeling sick. and But we know, I mean, you know better than me, the power of exercise and not pushing ourselves to run marathons, but literally getting a balance between work, rest and play, allowing our bodies to feel tired, 
recognizing we've been through, you know, our, our bodies have been getting ready to fight, getting ready to run. And if we haven't done either of those, all of that energy can be trapped and we can feel exhausted. So I would suggest that, yes, of course, good night's sleep. But it's important to get up at the normal time in the morning. It's important to keep doing the routines, not to start missing work or missing college using the, well, I had a panic attack as a reason. And I don't mean that harshly, Anna, but allowing ourselves to really take control over it and say, I'm going to do what's right for me. So watching what we're eating, what's going into our bodies. So caffeine, for instance, is a sti- is a stimulant. So somebody might not realise that they might be taking a lot of caffeine mm-hmm. and that might be actually adding to the, the difficulties. Somebody who's watching maybe a lot of social media or a lot of TV, watching, listening to friends talking about sad stuff. I think we take so much into our bodies in different ways that we don't realise the impact that has. And what, like, what about alcohol? Absolutely. No, I'm really glad you mentioned that. I mean, people who know me and know my work would know that any opportunity I get, I talk about the impact of alcohol. It's really, really difficult. It's a mood depressant. It affects people's behaviour and people are inclined to do things under the influence of alcohol that they would never do if they were sober. Well, I think that's that's a place to leave it because we have gotten so many takeaways and I just hope for people listening, if you are experiencing panic attacks or if you know of somebody that you will guide them and direct them to listen back to this. Dr. Claire Hayes, consultant, clinical psychologist. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us today on Supercharged. Now, still to come, how to keep your eyes healthy and Hugh Hick has some health stories that might just change your life. Supercharged with Ali Geary on RTE Radio 1. Mobile.ie. Supercharged with Ali Geary on RTE Radio 1. Next up, Hugh Hick is back with us. He has been thrawing through the many different health stories over the past week to see what's been making headlines. So Hugh... What have you got for us this week? Well, trawling is absolutely the right word, Anna. And it's not only the news I've been trawling through this week. I've been trawling through my apartment. because Oh, you, tell me more. Well, you know people have spring cleans. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always just like to get a bit ahead of myself. So I, I make mine an autumn clean. So I've been cleaning my apartment top to bottom this week. But it got me thinking because I had all the bleach out and mm-hmm. all. And it was like all these fumes in my apartment, are they really good for me? So I started looking that up. And would you believe it, Anna, that they've actually started looking into this. They got 60 scientists from 13 universities uh, to test houses. And they've been using all variety of different cleaning products. But also, interestingly, they've been looking at cooking as well. Uh, because you mightn't think about it when you're doing the mm. big batch cook at the weekend. I'm all for my batch cooks, Anna. <laughs> but they do release all sorts of these uh, chemicals. And what they found is that a lot of these chemicals that you, you cook are similar to those you see in, or smell rather, in wine wildfire smoke. And when you smell wildfire smoke, you think, oh, goodness, this might, might be <laughs> and healthy And some people produce more smoke than others as well when they're cooking You're dinner. talking to one of them. <laughs> it is smoke central in uh, Shea Hick. But um, so uh, they, they, they've basically come to the conclusion that it's not going to kill you, but uh, it might be a good idea to keep the ventilation going because there are a lot of compounds, both when you are cleaning, but also cooking, uh, that aren't necessarily great for you. So it's certainly something okay, worth bearing so, in mind. Because I actually do find cleaning quite 
therapeutic. So I will be opening the windows from now on when I'm doing it, or I'll get somebody else to do it. I'm not in the house. That'll be good. That'll be a good reason actually to pawn it off on somebody else. <laughs> well, are you one of those people, Anna, who finds an icy swim therapeutic? Absolutely not. I think we all know. Those I'm not going to lie. I can't. No, I don't. I, I'm with you there, but I think we all know that person in our friend group who is out there in the Irish Sea in November and December and telling everyone about it on WhatsApp as well. Exactly. I've just been for my ice cold swim. The sea evangelists. <laughs> And uh, they were there. They tell you all about the wonders for your health. And again, this is something they've actually looked into. And uh, the the health benefits that these people uh, tend to go on about are wide reaching. Now, the science that they're looking at now has only been able to pinpoint one, and that's that there is some evidence now uh, that the cold uh, exposure in water tends to uh, produce what they call. Uh, Adiponectin is um, my um, crude mm-hmm. pronunciation. But basically, this is a protein that uh, helps against insulin uh, resistance, diabetes and other diseases. There's also some evidence that it might uh, help in terms of uh, cutting out some of that bad body fat as well. Mm-hmm. However, a lot of the other health benefits um, are unconfirmed. And it's also important uh, to note as well that there are uh, some health risks associated with yeah. uh, plunging yourself. Yeah, so I that. suppose like it is like we know there's health benefits. But just to say to people, if, you know, gradually get used to the cold water maybe even start with a cold shower before you go dunking yourself into the sea but you know you can let us know how you get on if you are going sea swimming now there are um, other studies around our health I believe gym subscription could be something that is going to be on people's Yes, we've all got one, but how often do we use them? But uh, they have done a study that says uh, lifting weights regularly uh, could cut people's risk of dying early. And it looks as though that a combination of pumping iron and aerobic exercise every week uh, reaps the most benefits. They found that um, those who did any weightlifting whatsoever, so not necessarily a huge amount, but Mm -hmm. even a small amount, had a 9% lower all-cause mortality risk. So... Well, you're preaching to the converted. I mean, it decreases abdominal fat, burns calories, like builds your muscle. I'm I'm all for that. So I'm delighted that you brought that one up. Now, let's talk now about good news if you're a diabetic, but you're afraid of needles. Yes. It's a big one. I, I am a petrified of needles. Now, thankfully, I'm not diabetic myself, so I don't have to have the daily needle. Um, but for those who perhaps this is a concern, they have got, and I love the name of this, this pill. It is the RoboCap. And uh, this is a pill that can propel itself through mucus in the intestine because one of the um, issues, of course, with taking pills is that uh, they can basically be dissolved and they can't get through um, all those uh, acids in your in, in your stomach. So this is that they've actually developed one that can actually cut through all that and it has uh, fantastic potential. And it's only the size of a multivitamin. So if you're someone who finds Pill swallowing difficult, it might be good for you as well. Well, Hugh Hick, thank you so much for joining us and keeping us entertained and educated with all those health stories. And we'll see you next week. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. Now with me now in studio is Dr. Shifra Harrington and she's going to be providing us with some top tips for eye health. She's an optometrist and a clinical tutor based in the National Optometry Centre and the Centre for Eye Research Ireland in TU Dublin at Grange Gorman. Shifra, thank you so much for coming in. Thank I would you, love to get Anna. straight yes, great, in. And, great. Yeah. You know, how, like, how can we detect 
potential site problems? I suppose it depends on the ages, but the one key thing across the age band would be symmetry, symmetry, symmetry. The brain loves symmetry. We have two eyes. Mm -hmm. We need to see through both of them equally well and they need to work as a team together. And if there is an issue between the eyes, if one eye is better than the other, the brain is quite clever. So to prevent confusion, it can start to ignore the vision in the poor eye. So really at every stage, let's say with babies, if they have a preference for one eye, it's a red flag. So that those developmental checks that parents bring their kids for in the first few um, first few years, they're so important. And are there tips that parents can actually use themselves to check to maybe check. their own well, babies? Absolutely. Eyesight? I suppose I'm at the, the screenings, there was a delay on some of them because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So this is why I'm really conscious about being here and just saying to people to check for themselves. But at that stage, maybe in toddlers and preschoolers, if your baby is playing and you cover one eye and then see how they react and then you cover the other eye. And if there's no difference in their reaction, well then that's okay. But if they become very distressed when you cover one eye but have no problem with the other, you'd need to try and see if that's repeatable. That's a bit of a red flag that may suggest that they are showing a preference for one eye. So that's something that you can check on. But again, your public health nurse at all those developmental stages is really, really important. And you see, lazy eye is one of these things, well, amblyopia is the term. And that's why we screen children at school entry. So when they start school, we, you know, the school nurse comes in, which a public health nurse and they screen for this difference between the eyes and it's really important and it's important because children accept the world the way they find it you know, they write with one hand they kick with one foot one eye is better than the other and they're happy with that but we need to address things like lazy eye you know in the first few years when and when treatment is is, is successful it's, it's time sensitive it's time sensitive yeah and I think for for people when they think about the eyes the most common thing we think about is blinking blinking yeah well blinking is very very important because I suppose now especially with screens we're on screens for long periods of time and we did this you know this uh, test in the college one time where we got students and they were chatting to each other we filmed them for 60 seconds and then counted the number of times they blinked well they blinked 17, 18, 19 times in a minute but then we repeated that while they were on their screen editing a Word document of theirs some didn't blink at all. Some blinked what? once or twice or three times max. So the difference it's thing that when you, it's massive, it's massive, and you need to blink and need to lubricate your eyes. You so to, what can people do then to be yeah. more conscious of that? Well, you need to just, I suppose, be conscious that the twenty 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 rule is good. So every twenty minutes, look twenty feet or let's say six meters into the distance and blink about twenty times, oh. and that'll just help to lubricate the eyes. Or even maybe every time you hit return when you're you're typing, you know, remember to blink. But be conscious about it. Yeah. And then we need to make sure the tears, the quality is good. Keep yourself hydrated. Get your omega-3s in, your good, you know, um, fatty acids in there as well. Because, you know, our tears are oil and water. They'll evaporate between blinks. And we're not blinking as much. So diet is very important. And when I was younger, my mother used to always say, eat your carrots, they'll help you see better. Is there truth in that? Vegetables are important. What we say now is eat the rainbow. Eat the rainbow with an emphasis on green. And this is really important because we need these pigments in our macula, which is the region at the back of the eye, which is very, very important for critical detailed vision. So basically we need to ingest all the different colours, emphasis uh, with, let's say, with broccoli and spinach and kale. But then you need your other colours and pigments as well, like your blueberries and your sweet potatoes Mm -hmm. and all of these different things so that we have our own pigments. Now, some people, it's difficult. They're on restricted diets and there are supplements and the research is robust. The work. 
Now, I do have mm. to ask you about eyelashes because yeah. eyelash extensions is, you know, it's quite a common thing. I can yeah. say hands up right now. I do have them myself and I do I do like them. Like, I suppose it's very important then to to cleanse your eyes correctly to prevent things like yeah. styes from happening. Yeah, so. we need to do that. And styes are important because that means there's bacteria and you have infection. So you need to use, your, you know, lid hygiene is imperative. You need to clean well along the lid margins. Those little oily glands that I was talking about with regard to producing tears, they block really easily. And then you've got this glue adhering to your own eyelash. Mm-hmm. If you could see it under 40 times magnification, it's not pretty. So what but can we do then to clean them thoroughly? You you can you can get lid wipes. You'll mm-hmm. have been given cleaning to you know substances like blepharsol or whatever when you had your eyelashes attached. But you need to adhere to them. You do, or else you will end up in trouble. And a, a quick word on sunglasses. Well, sunglasses. See, the sunlight is very, very, very important. And I think if I say nothing else, this is the most important thing I'm going to say. We need to spend time outdoors. We need our children need two hours outdoors per day minimum with wow. the, and that is imperative because we have another epidemic happening and that's of short-sightedness it's really it by 2050 we are half the, the world's population are, are estimated to be short-sighted with 10% that's 1 in 10 pathologically so oh so this God. is something that is it, it's, it's, it's we're evolving mm-hmm. to you know with the invention different lifestyle different lifestyle since the invention of the electric light bulb we invaded the night and the consequence is disrupted sleep and the consequence is these eyeballs are going too big and we need to get so for children we need to prescribe daylight and is there anything in particular with sunglasses then briefly that we need oh, sunglasses. to be aware of it? well with sunglasses don't get cheap sunglasses you need to make sure they're CE approved and it's important because otherwise you you know you think it's dark your pupils dilate more damage is done there's a lot to be said for a hat with a peak in it there really is. There's a lot to be said for it because it does a lot of good work and it shades out light coming at that angle that's going to hit your eyes. Well, Dr. Shiva Hangton, thank you so much for coming in. There's some brilliant tips there and I'll be doing my 2020 rule as well this evening. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. Now, all I can say to you this evening is if you have been affected by anything that we've spoken about, make sure to visit rte.ie forward slash support and there will be some help numbers there for you. Thank you to all the team here, John, Louise, Hugh, Owen and Mark. They've done a brilliant job on today's show. Thank Thank you to you as well for your voice notes, stories and messages. Next week's show, we are talking about sex. Yes, we are. And I want to know what burning questions you've always wanted answered, but maybe you were too afraid to ask. Let us know. You can email at supercharged at rte.ie or reach out to me on Instagram. This is your show. So let us know what you want covered when it comes to the topic of sex. But for now, mind yourselves and mind each other. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1.